welcome back, Patreon supporters, to another bonus episode of a Pele Media Podcast. Of course, this will be Jurassic Park Minutes bonus episode that we're doing today. We're going to be talking about the, not even canceled, I guess you couldn't call it, the never even, the conceived, but never produced Jurassic Park animated cartoon, Escape from Jurassic Park. And I am joined today, of course, by my brother Brady. Brady, how are you doing? Aloha. I'm doing great because this is... The Jurassic Park's follow-up story I always wanted. Um, yeah. There is there's a season one synopsis online uh, that was only recently, you know, available. And this is hands down what I always wanted. Yeah, I think that this is the Jurassic Park 2 that I wanted. And we got the Lost World instead. And you kind of see some parallels. Maybe there was some... Uh, some stuff yeah. from this story that influenced uh, what happened to the Lost World. So, but to, to give people a little bit of background on this, so they can go out and kind of do some research on it, we're pulling down from the uh, basically outline of season one. I think it was it twenty four episodes or eighteen episodes that were 24. outlined. Twenty four. Yeah. Um, that were uh, basically like scheduled and like kind of written out and outlined for Steven Spielberg at his request. We of course got these documents. We want to give credit to Jurassic Outpost, who has them yeah. all up in a PDF form. Apparently, somehow these made their way out to the public, as things do at some point. Um, but yeah, so this was this was kind of unearthed and kind of came to light around the time of Jurassic World. Uh, last year, or excuse me, two years ago, and kind of became public knowledge from there. But uh, yeah, it seems to be the general consensus of everyone is that uh, it's a real disappointment that this was never produced as a series, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, this this was kind of coming about around the time that um, a lot of animated series started taking a little bit more of an adult turn. If you look at Batman, the animated series, which I think is arguably one of the greatest cartoons of all time, uh, it kind of fits in tone with that just in the sense that it's a little more adult oriented. And when I say that, I mean a little bit darker. Interesting to see that uh, it's an animated series and they had intended it to play in prime time. Uh, it was going to cross a lot, uh, break a lot of ground um, in the sense that it was going to be a lot of hand-drawn animation mixed in with some CGI, which had never really been seen in an animated series. Uh, now, do you remember the show Reboot? Yes, I do. Actually, I, yeah, I quite liked Reboot. I watched that yeah. a lot when I was younger. It kind of incorporated uh, – it didn't really incorporate it. I think it was almost entirely digital. And I think that was kind of the way that this Jurassic Park series was going to go. So it's interesting to think that they were going to mix the two. And uh, that hand-drawn animation style, they wanted to resemble a graphic novel. That was sort of the request um, that was given to designer William Stout uh, from Universal Cartoon Studios, I believe is what it was called. So you've got Jurassic Park, this movie that comes out that you think is just prime material for an animated series. And it really is. And everything is set. They hire a designer. They've got all this incredible material. They've got this um, season one breakdown that, you know, we've read, uh, which is incredible. And it doesn't happen. And so I kind of want to start off here with my thoughts on why it didn't happen. And... Just imagine that you're Steven Spielberg and you just have kind of come off of a, a string of, you know, movies that were kind of letdowns, I guess. Uh, Hook is something that he put a lot of heart and soul into. And I actually think Hook is, is quite a clever movie. I think it's actually a pretty, pretty neat idea, but it is not well received at all. And you just kind of don't know where you're going to go. So you put everything you got into Jurassic Park, you just come out swinging and you hit, you know, it's, it's a hit. It's great. Everything's perfect. And then you immediately go 
almost simultaneously into making uh, Schindler's List, which is a, not just a personal film, but a film that none of us would probably like to to make, to have to make. And I can't imagine that that was an easy experience for him. If you watch his Oscar acceptance speech for Best Director, I mean, you, you see just how uh, personally and emotionally draining an experience that had to be for him. So it's it's almost like... You, you've just, and I'm actually going to kind of quote Daniel Craig here, who was, uh, gave, gave a reason behind why he's hesitant to play James Bond again. It's like running a marathon, and before you're even done, people are asking you when you're going to start running your next marathon. So Steven Spielberg is basically just Jurassic Parked out and is creatively drained and doesn't even bother, according to, to the story, doesn't even bother to watch the pitch reel, the trailer that was cut together to... Um, kind of pitch the, uh, what the, the, the idea of the animated series was going to be. And he just kind of throws his hands up and says, I'm, I'm kind of over Jurassic Park and doesn't sign off on the cartoon. And thus the cartoon doesn't happen. Uh, this was pretty disappointing to William Stout and other people involved. And what was even more disappointing was that just a few years later, uh, the Lost World would be coming out. And so it's like, all right, Steven, you're, you're, you're back in, you know, <laughs> you get those creative juices out. We really could have used those, uh, back just a few years ago. So it makes sense that he wouldn't have wanted to sign off on it, but my God, wouldn't it have been great? After we get to see all of this artwork, all of these conceptual designs, these ideas, reading this season one breakdown, it's, it's a true shame that it didn't happen. It was, a, it was a real miss that I think really could have taken off and broken some real ground in uh, animated television history. Well, Spielberg is kind of traditionally also not a sequel guy, right? Yeah, correct. He did the Indiana Jones films, which seemed to be more of his love of working with both Harrison Ford and George Lucas rather than, you know, the continuation of a storyline, you know, that was also kind of more centered around the idea of like, you know, like the Indiana Jones story is a story. uh, It's several stories about a character. It's not like one continuous narrative that goes through the whole thing, right? It's it's the kind of like the James Bond form of making a movie. So the idea for Spielberg to revisit a concept like Jurassic Park, it really wasn't his modus operandi for the time. And honestly, it really wasn't kind of the thing that most directors did back in the day. I know a lot of maybe our younger listeners now, um, you know, everything that comes out is probably viewed as potential to be a franchise. You know, uh, everything is thought of like, could we make this into a trilogy? But prior to Lord of the Rings, that wasn't really the thought of going into a film. It was kind of like, let's just make the one movie, and then if it's good, we'll make a sequel. And really beyond that, there wasn't a whole lot of thought put into anything. So you know, yeah. Jurassic Park being the massive mega hit that it was, Universal really wanted to capitalize out on that at the time. And you know, knowing that they're working with Steven Spielberg, they were probably like, well, we're probably not going to get him to do Jurassic Park 2. So he's mm-hmm. done Tiny Toons. You know, he kind of worked on that, and that worked out uh, to, to a degree. So... He's got some experience with producing cartoons. Maybe we can hook him in that way. So, um, yeah, I, I can see Jurassic Park burnout definitely being something that he was probably dealing with at the time. Um, and it's a real shame because this really seemed like a quality production. And, you know, as I've said before, this is you know, reading through these notes was like, this is the sequel that I really would have preferred to The Lost World. This yeah, really works a lot more as a canonical sequel. Now, I didn't read anything about this actually being pitched as a prime time. Uh, action like television series, but you're telling me that that's that was their pitch. This wasn't going to be a Saturday morning cartoon or like an after school cartoon thing. This was actually going to be like a seven o'clock on like a Wednesday night type thing. Huh? If, if, if I'm not mistaken, in fact, uh, not to cut you off, but I'd like to read the introduction. Um, Please, do. basically, uh, Universal Cartoon Studios Incorporated. 
this was something that they released uh, along with their season one breakdown. The made-for-television series that will follow the release of the motion picture Jurassic Park will be the most distinctive and elaborately animated series ever produced for the medium of television. The series is being designed by William Stout, one of the original concept artists who designed the Jurassic Park feature, and who, as an acclaimed dinosaur artist and author in his own right, was one of Michael Crichton's inspirations for writing the original novel. The look will be consistent with the film and will feature extensive three-dimensional multiplane animation. The Jurassic Park series will build from the film and book in a continuing story in a multiple-episode story arc. Each individual episode will tell a complete story, will form part of a greater tapestry, which will play out over the course of the series. Philosophically, the series will be consistent with storytelling integrity of the motion picture and the novel. While new characters and dinosaurs will be added to the mix, the essential cast from the film will be featured in the series, and the tone and temper of the storytelling will be the same as in the motion picture. So, I mean, they, they, they're pretty confident in what they had going here. To say that this was going to be the... Uh, you know, the basically the, the most advanced thing that was ever created for animated television is is hell a hell of a statement. So you know that they were really confident going in, going in, and uh, you know hiring William Stout isn't just something that you just kind of it's it's not like a animator for hire. I mean, they went out and got somebody who was incredibly distinctive and uh, and connected to Jurassic Park. Like we said, he was not only uh, one of the designers for. Um, the original film, conceptually, he was one of Michael Crichton's inspirations for writing the book. He was one of the people who's responsible for Jurassic Park having ever become a thing. So this guy is, you know, an important part of Jurassic Park history. So for him to have been the guy behind the series is huge. Yeah, and I think it's also, I want to point out too, it's pretty groundbreaking that they wanted to have a continuous storyline Yes. Told not in just an animated series, which hadn't you know had been done before, but was very rare, but also as a TV series at that time, especially in in, in late in a late night spot, like that didn't really happen. You know, the pre, in a pre lost world, there were very few uh, continuous storyline shows. Sure, you have the characters that show up, and maybe every now and then will reference something that happened on an earlier episode, but this was like. Every episode leading into the other, this was one gi- all like gigantic story arc yeah. uh, that could have, <laughs> probably should have been a movie, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's it's got some fantastic ideas in it. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah I, and you know, saying the level of quality that they were going for at that time, like Batman the animated series, that that was kind of like jumping up in my mind the whole time reading this stuff yeah. too, because it is an adult. Uh, cartoon. I mean, there's like you know a point that where raptors are picking off uh, guys with guns, you know, and Tyrannosaurus Rexes join in. I don't know that there would have been like a lot of on on screen blood, but they were not shying away from death as something that would happen. So this was not this was consistent with the PG-13 film, I think, at least as far as this um, this outline of the series goes. So, yeah, absolutely. And you know, uh, at the time too, there was a lot of. Um, it was, uh, you know, it was it was popular to get into uh, extending the life of a brand by marketing it to, to children. There was, I don't know if you remember this. It was like a Rambo TV show that came on around the same yeah. time, a Rambo yeah. cartoon. There was a Swamp Thing cartoon. Uh, there was right. a there, along the same lines as this. There was actually an animated series that was pitched for the movie Aliens that never got to production called Operation Aliens. I think yeah. there might have been a short, like five minute soundless clip out there somewhere because you can find screen grabs that were pulled off of that. But that's another like. 
R-rated film that they were trying to turn into something to pitch towards kids. Uh, and you know, all, all those were not consistent with the uh, ratings, the rating of the film. You know, this would have been something that would have been straight up like a PG-13 uh, cartoon. You know, the, not shying away from death in it at all. So yeah, you know, I, I want to um, cite a couple of things here. Earlier, you mentioned that we were able to get some of this information from uh, JurassicOutpost.com. JurassicOutpost.com is a website that I frequent every day as a Jurassic Park fan. And that's, like you said, where we got this, uh, the breakdown, the season breakdown and everything. Uh, there's some more information on there. So if anyone is interested in finding out a little bit more, you can go to their website. Uh, it's it's really, really, really well done website and a great resource for all things Jurassic Park. And uh, on top of that, too, we, we are going to post in the show notes uh, links to this information that we got, too, just to give credit to everybody. There's a Slash Film article that I think maybe even offer, also references uh, the stuff that's on Jurassic Outpost. You can also get some kind of like sketches, uh, some artistic sketches of kind of a, you know, that were included with the pitch roll. But um, if you're listening to this right now and you want to check that out, just check the show notes and there'll be links in there. Yeah, another one is a uh, YouTube channel called Crisscross Media. And there's a series called Scrapped, and this guy goes and uh, basically just takes things that were kind of ideas that were canned and uh, explores them in these in little videos. He's got one for the Jurassic Park animated series that's really, really, really well done. In fact, at one point in there, he talks about another Jurassic Park animated series that was in the works. So there was another attempt at a Jurassic Park-related uh, animated series um, that take, took place after The Lost World, and it was called Jurassic Park Chaos Effect. Basically, Kenner and Hasbro uh, toy companies had created a new toy line, and they wanted it to be accompanied by a cartoon series. So they were kind of going at, you know, these two uh, mediums at once. And it was kind of a lavish idea. Uh, the scenario was, I think, a little bit strange. It was some scientists go to Isla Sorna to try and <laughs> clone more dinosaurs with the existing uh, equipment that is there. And, of course, all they end up creating is a bunch of high, dangerous hybrids that end up attacking the scientists. And you can imagine where the story goes from there. So that didn't happen. But that toy line, the Jurassic Park Chaos Effect uh, toy line did happen. So, Yeah, I do remember that toy line. That was quite a bit of time after the film had uh, come out. And it was kind of one of those things that Kenner was notorious for doing, where basically they would take a Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves uh, molds for characters <laughs> and just repaint them. Yeah. And maybe bring them back. You know, like a... The Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, uh, Sherwood Forest hangout was just the Ewok village uh, with a different painting <laughs> slap, like a, a coat of paint slapped on it. So, I actually see some similarities between William Stout's look and the designs of Mobius, who I know you're a fan of, a guy who's responsible yeah, for doing... Yeah, he did a lot of uh, the designs for Alien, the first uh, Alien film. Uh, Fifth Element, and, too, I believe, yeah. Yeah, and you can, uh, you can definitely see some some echoes in William South's designs for uh, Escape from Jurassic Park series. So, you know, we've, we've talked about kind of the, the production of this and kind of how the idea got off the ground, but I think one thing we really need to discuss is just kind of give everybody kind of a general breakdown of what this series was going to be. Uh, it's basically what I, you know, I've, on, the sh on, the, on the show Jurassic Park Minute, I, I've spoken several times about what I thought the, the best, the better sequel would have been. I wasn't really happy with what we got in the Lost World. I think Isla Sorna is, excuse me, Isla Nublar. Well, Sorna, Isla Sorna, is kind of boring. Isla Nublar is, you know, the place to be in '93. So uh, I really think that the the sequel we should have had is going back to that island and seeing what kind of chaos had happened with no human interaction at all. And that's exactly what's going on here. The entire idea is that John Hammond 
doesn't want to give up on what he's done here. Not because of the monetary influence of it, but because he has a god complex. So he reassembles his team of everybody and says, hey, we have to go in and save these creatures before, and I think it actually uses the word, they become re-extinct. So he wants mm -hmm. to go in and kind of fix the problem that they had there. Now, he has an ulterior motive uh, to create another Jurassic Park probably at some point down the line, but he's able to get you know, Ellie and Ian uh, and and get them back over there. So they show up, and unbeknownst to them, uh, Biosyn is also creating their own Jurassic Park called Dino World on the mainland of South America. So when we talk about this thing having multiple arcs, there is definitely a lot going on with John Hammond and secrets that he's keeping, and Biosyn and Dodson creating their own uh, version of Jurassic Park. In the meantime, John Hammond's also assembled his own t his uh, a new team. It, it was going to introduce new characters, new dinosaurs. So he gets a team of geneticists to start working on more dinosaurs. So while Ian and Ellie are pulled to the island, Grant's there. We have a Muldoon fill in. We have a Nidri filled in. We have a Doctor Wu fill in. They actually start to put together the pieces of the puzzle about the whole Dennis Nidri situation too. Because I guess getting off the island, they didn't really have a whole lot of time to think about what Nidri was up to. So they start to realize, you know, Biosyn was behind all of that. So they get to the island. There's a confrontation with uh, the team that Biosyn has. Biosyn's been stealing dinosaurs off of the island. Biosyn starts taking the dinosaurs off of the island, stealing them to put them in their own dino world. And, uh, you know, we have a confrontation over a dino world as well. And I think what would have probably been the culmination of the series or the big gigantic moment, the dinosaurs get out into the world. They escape yeah. from Dino World, and there's like a stampede of dinosaurs into South America. And the governments of South America and Brazil get involved. And... Uh, you know, we've got uh, the armies getting involved fighting dinosaurs and, you know, being picked off and poachers coming in and st everything just basically spills completely out of control. It really does. This, which, which is what I love about it because it's a real yeah. world situation. Like they have to go and try to track down dinosaurs that poachers are stealing and trying to get to different parts of the world. There's, I think, one des uh, de description of a confrontation at a Japanese airport where somebody's trying to smuggle copies in. Uh, to uh, to an airport, so they have to go and like track it down. So it would have been just a crazy like globe spanning, trying to keep this outbreak of dinosaurs from spilling out into the world. Um, one of the things I really liked most about this was, uh, like like I've said before, the real world element that is in there. It's not just dinosaurs attacking people. This really this involves the government presence in it. It involves uh, all of the business side of it. You made a note one time early on in Jurassic Park Minute about how. You really like uh, fake business corporations in, in movies, and Biosyn and InGen are some good examples of that. Whalen yutani I think one of the best examples is the Phoenix Foundation and MacGyver, which no one really could ever understand quite what the hell they did. Um, but most of this cartoon, this season breakdown, dealt with uh, corporate espionage and how both companies were tr like competing. Uh, you know, on, on who was going to get to this first dino world or was Jurassic Park and John Hammond finally going to get this preserve made. Of course, we found out later that he was actually more interested in opening Jurassic Park finally uh, and needed these, you know, this little team of conservationists there to make that happen. I mean, the, the, the thing that I had in the end that I was taken away from reading was that it sounds like John Hammond kind of planned a lot of this. Uh, you think so? You know, the show ends. What's that? You think so? 
I don't know. So the ending of it, what I was reading is, you know, it, it kind of like Hammond shows up and he's either recused himself of any responsibility for all of this or he wants to say South America is now in the hands of the claws of the dinosaurs, you know. Jesus, it just got to be – there's it's, it's, it's kind of a cliffhanger ending and I have yeah. to admit that – uh, while I was uh, reading this, I was also cooking a salmon. Uh, and I was like, had my eye on the uh, both at the very end. Yeah. Uh, but um, I think uh, it, that that was my reading of it. That John Hammond somehow either recused himself of this and said, "Hey, here's my gift to you, world. There are dinosaurs in the world now." Uh, but his last line there, when he's in front of a bunch of TV stations, he just basically like walks out and says, "Welcome to Jurassic Park." Kind of reminded me at the end of. Uh, Iron Man, when you know Tony Stark holds that press conference and they're ready yeah. to slide everything under the rug, instead he comes out and says, "I am Iron Man." You know that was kind of my takeaway from it, although I could have been reading that wrong. But I, I uh, it's definitely not my takeaway. Um, I do think you're right. Whenever he says he's kind of recused himself of any, you know, he's he's kind of said like, "Okay, things are back on track now. Everything's fine now that every all the chaos on the mainland has been taken care of." But I, I definitely don't think that he. Um, he wanted anything to have escaped and gotten into the mainland. Uh, I do, however, uh, applaud him for uh, the easy way out for any Jurassic Park sequel would be to go back to the Barbasol can. And it would make sense that an animated series would probably cop out and go that way as well uh, because it's just the easiest thing to understand and the easiest thing to write in. But they didn't do that. They they went, like you're saying, an incredibly will, real world route by by getting government involved and competing paleontologists and poachers going to the area. Yeah, I think in and, fact they even – they had something about a, like a, a, um, a private paleontology or like pr- paleontologist for hire thing that became like kind of a thing because of this situation. Yeah, which I know that is uh, something that's touched on in the book and I think um, some of our former guests of the show have said – some of our paleontologist uh, friends have said that that's a very real thing is competition in the world of paleontology is a very, very, very real thing. And to think that they were going to touch on that in the show is very cool. Now, we've got um, some things going on here that uh, obviously the Lost World is almost identical to some of this cartoon. Yeah, and I do think that this uh, outline definitely informed where they wanted uh, the Lost World to go. So it's almost strange that this thing – my mind started kind of uh, playing with different scenarios here. And one of them was that it might have been intentionally pulled so that Crichton could take the premise – parts of this premise and go write the Lost World. Well, you know, I'm, and I'm wondering how much of that was, I don't remember in the, the Lost World, honestly, I read it in like 10th grade or whatever, or 11th grade and it just honestly kind of forgot about it pretty quick. I know that there were dino poachers in there, or the Biosyn teams came in and they had like some gear, but the descriptions of the uh, the dino wranglers in this that are employed by Biosyn is almost exactly like what we got in the film version of the Lost World, so I almost have to believe that there had to have been some sort of concept art or something that Steven Spielberg must have seen. They, they describe guys with like, uh, you know, those uh, uh, not tethering, but you know, the nooses that they throw around, the hardosaurs yeah. in 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 the Lost World. That that's almost to a T in this pitch here. Well, the, and even the fact that Dodson, who I'm thought was awesome that they uh, brought him back, that he's he's also your main antagonist in the book, and the book also has his entire team and the the movie. Of course, they switch out the character of Dodson with Peter Ludlow uh, going back to the island. There's a smaller team of the Jurassic Park team. It's, it's, it was almost identical to the, uh, to the first book and film, for that matter. Colin Trevorrow was asked, what, what is the premise going to be for Jurassic World 2? This is a while back. He said that there's a line of dialogue from Grant that kind of defines what Jurassic World 2 is going to be, and that is 
Dinosaurs and man, two species separated by 65 million years of evolution, have been suddenly thrown back in the mix together. How can we have the slightest idea what to expect? There is a page in the season, the series breakdown that has that entire piece of dialogue, that exact piece of dialogue in reference to the entire situation that's going on. It's almost too convenient to think that this series isn't prompting the sequels to the original film. It's strange in a way that to think that like this small circle of filmmakers is sitting around using this animated series as a sort of Bible on what the follow-up Jurassic films would be. <laughs> of course, this is like conspiracy theories and everything like that, but it seems like that's what this is. This is what they keep going back to for uh, for ideas. Colin Trevorrow has also said we're not, you know, the Jurassic Park films don't have to be limited to being on an island and in a theme park. And so I think that if they are going to take them off of the island and put them out in the rest of the world, this is probably the coolest way to do that. Yeah, I, I, um, just, I, I keep thinking of like that scene in uh, Fast Five where, uh, you know, The Rock and Vin Diesel are chasing each other through the flavella. And I'm like, how awesome would that be if it was like guys hunting down raptors in a flavella and they're like coming out of like, you know, uh, like these really confined spaces and attacking people and stuff like that. It, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's very ambitious. It's very ambitious for a cartoon. Very, very ambitious if that was what they want to do for Jurassic World, uh, for Jurassic World 2. But it's a fantastic idea that like we just kind of got a little bit of a glimpse of and maybe we kind of got the uh, bargain brand shelf version in Lost World where, you know, the Tyrannosaurus Rex is like in downtown San Diego headbutting a, um, yeah. a, a bus. Again, we, we don't mean to step on any, you know, if people like the Lost World and they liked, you know, that part of it and everything. Hey, this is just, it's all opinionated. This is just our opinions of it. But, um, I'm, I just, I just think there's a lot more to go with this premise here that you, you, you could probably string out a lot more close oh, yeah, and, and story out of, out of what's described here in the, in the story treatment. Here's something else too, is, uh, I really like when a TV series or season for that matter, especially your first season ends on a cliffhanger and one that is kind of, uh, on a downer note. Um, look, here's big spoiler for anyone who hasn't seen the, the TV series Hannibal or season one. So skip ahead if you haven't. I was a huge fan of that show. And season one ended with Will Graham, your hero, being arrested and taken in as under the uh, suspicion that he is the killer and not Hannibal Lecter. Um, Lost, your season one ended with them uh, opening up the hatch, I believe is how that ended. Uh, so, you know, there's a, that's not necessarily kind of a downer ending, but it was something that wasn't your happy go lucky, rousy, rousing, happy ending. Well, this one ends with Grant, Ellie and Malcolm having to witness basically the grand opening of Jurassic Park. And, uh, Hammond is there at like the big press conference and his last line is literally welcome to Jurassic Park as the gates are about to open behind him. Yeah, so it's, what it's, a, it's a hell of a cliffhanger ending. ending that you know would have uh, you know a, a second season would have been amazing of this show. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. even know where they would have gone with that, but uh, yeah, uh, it's uh, they 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 explore so much cool territory with this that I, there's it's no wonder that uh, the filmmakers who are working on further Jurassic Park films have maybe gone back to this a few times, and you know it's. <laughs> I really wish it was produced, but I'm kind of glad that it's there for them to cherry pick the ideas that they like and expand. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Let's let's take a look at something here. Jurassic Park. There's a lot of fans of this movie, a lot of diehard devotees who eat, breathe, and sleep Jurassic Park. They know every little thing about it, you know, to a T. And yet, no one has ever heard of this mysterious animated series that was so close to production but never came about. I find that a little hard to believe. I think at least one person, there would have been one person out there who would have known about this and talked about it and it would have been common knowledge. 
even if something that's not widely known, it still would have been something that we would have heard about and known about. And yet, it's only just starts coming out in bits and pieces over the last year. So here we go. We've, we've got a premise here that is easily, it could have very easily been something Michael Crichton was aware of and picking bits and pieces from to make The Lost World and thus the filmmakers after him. So it has either been sitting there as a sort of let's go back to this if we're out of ideas type source or this is all fake and this whole thing was created just like last year or something. Now I'm well, not calling... I I'll, I'll, I don't think that's the case with this. I, you know, knowing how big corporations, especially film studios like this, how they work, they pitch stuff all the time. I mean, we, you know, we know people whose entire careers as screenwriters have been, uh, you know, producing stuff that never gets made. You know, it's it's entirely possible to have a very lucrative career of just taking pitches, working on it, maybe producing a pilot, and then it not going anywhere at all. <clears throat> it's it, it it's it's like that old saying that I know that goes around at Disney Imagineering. Uh, a good idea never dies. Yeah, uh, you know they're always pulling from old stuff to make new rides. Uh, I think that this is a great idea that somebody was paid a lot of money to produce. Uh, Universal works very close with Steven Spielberg. If Mr. Spielberg says he's not interested, this goes on the shelf, and it because they don't want these ideas to get out and be used by somebody else. This was probably like at the very end of this, uh, you know, um, Raiders of the Lost Ark <laughs> was put into crate yeah. and stored in a giant warehouse somewhere. I guarantee you. There's a warehouse uh, on Lucasfilm's ranch where you go, and there's uh, you know all the scripts for the unproduced was it 100 episode series about uh, the, uh, the uh, level of thieves in Coruscant. Do you know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about? Uh, Star Wars Underworld? I think, yeah, maybe it was Star Wars Underworld. Yeah, yeah. All those scripts are out there somewhere. I'm sure there's footage that's been shot of that. I'm sure that there was probably spinoff ideas wow. that they had pitch packages and stuff like that. Uh, you know, animatic reels that we'll never see out there that these studios want to keep a close hand on because they spent money on it. If they're not going to use it, no one else sure as hell is going to use it. So yeah, I right. imagine that this coming out probably had to do with uh, Jurassic World being pitched as a continuing thing and this probably coming out and getting in somebody's hands and somebody saying, you know, the world needs to see this it's if, yeah. if it's you know this this i'm sure that's how this got out to the public so i don't believe that this is fake at all i definitely think that this is real because you know we've seen stuff like this pop up in the past yeah you know it when i started playing around with that theory which was just for a fleeting moment um it kind of reminded me of this uh hoax that happened probably about 10 years ago where somebody had recently discovered all of the top secret um unknown plans that Orson Welles had for a Batman movie. Do you remember this? I think I remember something about that. Was it a, um, like an April Fool's Day joke or something? Uh, It was something like that where Orson Welles apparently had plans to do a big Batman movie where he was going to play Batman and he had all these actors lined up to play the different villains. And then somebody realized that, wait a minute, by the time he was going to do this, the character of like Two-Face hadn't been invented yet or something like that. And thus, Hey, it's a big hoax. Uh, it was, it was a really neat story. So for a minute I thought this is just, it's that it's another case of that. But, um, but no, I, I, yeah, I do believe that this is something that's been sitting around in, in a warehouse, uh, next to the lost Ark for a long time. And Probably it's just so. crazy that with as many fil- fans and obsessives that there are for this movie, no one has ever heard of this. Now, okay, so we William Stout keeps dropping like little bits and pieces of this. Uh, started off with some of the artwork that he had done for it. I think there was a little bit more to come out after that. And then there was the season breakdown that surfaced. Well, he has said that this trailer, this pitch reel video, uh, he has a copy and that no one's ever seen it. I think that's what's going to happen next. 
And God, I hope it does. Probably um, so. Well, maybe with the release of this episode, it'll get out. Mr. Stout yeah. will around and release something yeah. for it. But. So along with this pitch and the pitch reel, which I hope some point in time we'll be able to see, uh, there's some artwork that William Stout produced, which uh, we've talked about a little bit about here. But I want to talk a little bit about it more in depth because it's really stunning. Uh, it's mm-hmm. got graphic novel kind of like approach to it, uh, but it's it's pretty fantastic. So William Stout made kind of like character sheets for these. He's got uh, Dr. Ellie Statler, and she's basically sitting at this table with all these beakers and stuff like that, looking just like Laura Dern did out of the movie. We've got Dr. Alan Grant, and of course, he's a digger, so he's standing over a digging site uh, where he's got a skeleton of a dinosaur underneath him. Uh, we got Dr. Ian Malcolm, who is standing in front of a computer screen, which has a lot of like... Uh, chaos uh, permutations in front of him, and he's, of course, dressed like he was in all black. Uh, we have Lex, uh, who is in front of a computer, because she is the hacker. She's got a camera around her neck, and there's a little tiny dinosaur kind of looking at the at the little laptop computer she has with her. Uh, we got Dr. John, uh, excuse me, we have John Hammond standing in front of the gates of Jurassic Park with his cane again, and I found it kind of funny, too, that this whole show opens with him looking at that mosquito in the amber in his cane again, yeah. just like it ended in Jurassic Park. So It picks up right where that first film left off, almost. It really does. Uh, we've got Tim with a baby Brachiosaur, and he has a little baby Pteranodon over his shoulder. He's holding a copy of a Jurassic Park book. Uh, we also talked about the fact that they were going to introduce new dinosaurs in this series, and there's one, and I'm going to botch the name here, but I'm going to try. It's Hypsilodon, excuse me, <laughs> Hypsilophodon, Hypsilophodon. Uh, and there is a moment where Tim and Lex are feeding a Hypsilophodon hatchling, and Tim has kind of a puppet on his hand of a mommy Hypsilophodon's uh, head, and he is feeding yeah. like spinach or something like that to a newly hatched uh, baby Hypsilophodon. And then of, uh, there is a picture of Tim with his little Pteranodon pal who sits on his shoulders. So he's a little baby Pteranodon, I guess, in the series it would have been on his shoulder. And he's feeding it like a berry or something, and there's a, a caption under it that says a tidbit for Perry. Uh, there is another scene that looks like of Ellie swimming away in scuba gear from a mosasaur. And they did say something in the book how there were some inland uh, like uh, lakes and stuff like that, that Jurassic Park had bred mosasaurs and other large water dinosaurs. So it seems like at least one episode of the series was going to be revolving around these uh, landlocked uh, water dinosaurs. Uh, mm-hmm. There is a... Uh, a picture of it looks like Tim and Lex on a motorboat trying to get away from a paleo, uh, excuse me, pliosaur, I think is how it's pronounced. Uh, big, a, yeah, yeah, big water dinosaur. Uh, we've got uh, a triceratops uh, with uh, Grant trying to lasso it around its neck from a car and it's uh, ramming the car in half. And there's a lot of other concept art on pteranodons, and th- this stuff just looks fantastic. Uh, raptors, compies, things like that. So they would have shown like a large breadth of dinosaurs. It wouldn't have been like the movie where, of course, it focuses more on like the Dilophosaurus and the raptors and the scary stuff. It looks like there was actually going to be a lot of them having to take care for dinosaurs, which is the kind of the guys that John Hammond used to get them to come to the island in the first place. But um, yeah, it's uh, uh, William Stout did a fantastic job with this artwork, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm glad it's out there because it really deserves to be seen. It's it's it looks like this 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 show would have been really cool. It would have been really cool. Yeah, it really would have. Well, folks, that is pretty much uh, what we've got on the scant, still scant kind of uh, information out there on Escape from Jurassic Park. But Brady, do you think the Escape from Jurassic Park is them trying to get out of Jurassic Park, or is it the dinosaurs escaping from Jurassic Park? Man, that's a very good idea. I, you, you could take it even further than that if you want and just say, like, 
the escape from the Jurassic Park experience. Like these characters cannot escape this whole thing. That's a good point. I mean, um, the the the, the uh, treatment here definitely states that they're all <laughs> very affected by what happened to them on yes. Isla Nublar. That everybody's yeah. still trying to like trying to get their lives back together. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, you can it's it's a point that we heard on the Alien Minute podcast where the title alien doesn't necessarily refer to the xenomorph, but to just the nature of being in an alien environment. Uh, this, this was just a whole alien experience to all of these characters. I think that this might kind of play in, uh, uh in that regard, so to speak, but mm, I don't know. That's kind of a stretch. Uh, <laughs> Escape from Jurassic Park would probably be, um, just the idea that these, that, everything that was supposed to be contained in this island is now out and loose and in the world. And yeah, the Jurassic Park experience has now gone global. Yeah. And it's not just contained to one island. It is, it is, it is everywhere after this. So. Correct. And to, to think if like, let's say for example, that is what the title is implying. It's just one more, um, mature element that this thing had going for it. One, one more idea that was just so much more adult than just having this be a traditional Saturday morning cartoon. All right, folks. Well, that's pretty much everything we have here on the information available from Escape from Jurassic Park. If you want to find out some more about this, we will include show, in the show notes links to uh, our buddies over at Jurassic Outpost and the information they have on it. I definitely say uh, go check out this artwork if you haven't seen it before and read the 24-page uh, outline for this. Uh, it's it's really cool. Uh, it's really cool yeah. to see what, what could have been. But All right, Brady, well, are you ready to get out of here? Let's go. Let's go. Folks, thank you so much for joining us. Everyone have a great weekend. And from Brady and myself, mahalo. This has been a Pele Media Patreon episode. Thank you so much for being a Patreon supporter and keeping the show going. If you enjoy our bonus episodes, be sure to tell your friends to check us out at patreon.com slash Media. You can also find us online at facebook.com slash Media and Group at gmail.com. Our theme song is Behind Closed Doors by Otis McDonald. Otis McDonald.